Hi, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. The lesson you're going to hear was presented to the Franklin Church on March 29, 2009. That was one of those fifth Sundays, and our tradition is to have a congregational meeting, and therefore the lesson is abbreviated and deals with a question that has been submitted by one of the members of the congregation. Today's lesson answers the question, does demon possession occur today? It's an exciting topic, and I hope you'll find it beneficial. I just want to take this opportunity to remind you, if you have not subscribed to our podcast, you can get lessons like this one delivered to your MP3 player every week. Simply go to the iTunes store, search for the Franklin Church of Christ, and subscribe to our podcast. Or you can go to our website, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com, and on the right-hand side of the screen, you'll see our podcast link. If you click on that, it'll take you to iTunes, and then all you have to do is hit the subscribe button, and these lessons will be delivered to you on a weekly basis through iTunes. Open your Bible, and let's get ready to answer the question, does demon possession happen today? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down to the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. Excuse me, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. That's from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Today is the fifth Sunday of the month, and for our guests, so you'll know what's going on, our members hopefully remember that on the fifth Sunday of the month, we do things just a little bit differently. We're going to have our question and answer lesson today, a brief lesson, and then we're going to be having, following that, a congregational meeting, the elders, and also I will be making some presentation, and hopefully it'll be something that'll be beneficial to you, that'll help you I know what's going on in the congregation, and for our guests, we hope that you can hang around for the congregational meeting as well, because that'll help you know what we're doing as a congregation and answer some of your questions about us. But first, we want to take a look at the question, and that is, does demon possession take place today? In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, here's a young man. As Jesus stepped off the boat, there he was, 
in and among the tombs on the mountainside, possessed by unclean spirits. In fact, within this text, it says that he was possessed by many, for they were legion. And the question that we ask is, does that happen today? Are, are there people today who are possessed by demons or by unclean spirits? Some folks wonder, am I? I'm not talking about me, not Edwin, but some folks are kind of asking about themselves. Although maybe there's some folks that think that about me, I don't know. Uh, wow. You know, anyway, the, the point being, it, it's, does that happen? Do we have to fear that? Is, do demons come into our heart and soul and take over where we have absolutely no control? No matter what we want, no longer matters. Uh, and does that happen by that power taking place in our lives? And we're going to be very brief about this. Just have a couple of passages that I want us to consider and a couple of points to demonstrate what the Scripture teaches about this. Before we do that, though, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you and we praise your name because you're awesome. And we're thankful that you have cared for us and that you have set us apart. And we ask that you would continue to bless us and help us to overcome the tempter. Father, we're thankful for your word that can help us answer the questions that are important to us today as we serve you. And we'd ask that you would help us to keep our hearts open to your word. Help us to set aside anything that we think we already know and simply just open our hearts to what you have revealed so that we might better serve and honor and glorify you. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for loving us. Through your Son we pray. Amen. Now, the very first thing that I hope that you'll recognize from the Scripture, and that is that even the demons recognized a time was coming when things were going to change. If we look in the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 8, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29, the demons, as, and, and here it gives us a little bit more information about the story. There's two men here. But what it says that they said in Matthew 8:29, Behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? What we need to recognize here is even the demons understood that some time was coming when things were going to change. Have you come to torment us before the time. Have you come to torment us before the time that has been set that tormenting us would take place? I think about that. These, these guys knew torment was coming. They, they knew it was coming. But I also want you to notice in Luke chapter 8 and verse 29, another parallel. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 29, in Luke 8, in fact, back up to verse 28. In Luke 8 and verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. But then in verse 29, notice what he says. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. So in the Matthew passage, we recognize that the unclean spirit, the demon said, Have you come to torment me before the time? Here in this text, it presents him as simply saying, don't torment me. But, but what was Jesus doing that the demon considered torment? Casting him out of the man. And we don't know exactly what the time is. We have to speculate a little bit. But I just can't help but notice that, that the, the demon said, are you here to torment me before the time? Leaving that idea that, that there's coming a time for this torment to take place. And then when he says, don't torment me, the reason he feels tormented is because he's being cast out of the man. What I get from that is that this time when torment was going to come, that was going to be the time when the unclean spirits wouldn't be allowed to possess man. The torment was being brought out of man. 
that they weren't allowed to possess or take over anymore. And so the demon recognized there's going to be a time when, when I'm not going to be able to possess people anymore. That time's coming, but now Jesus is coming. He's tormenting me before that time. What was the torment? To be removed from the man. So the demon recognized that this wasn't going to happen forever. Possession wasn't something that was going to occur as long as man was on the face of the earth. He had a time in which this was permitted. But Jesus was tormenting him now, even before that time was set. The second thing that I hope you'll recognize is that Jesus claimed that he was binding the strong man. And he claimed that this was happening for a purpose. Look in Mark chapter 5 again. In Mark chapter 5, where we read initially about the story. Uh-oh. Looked up the wrong verse earlier. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12. I apologize for that. In Matthew chapter 12, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is being accused of casting out demons by Beelzebul. This is in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 27. If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. This is what Jesus is talking about what he's doing. In fact, I finally remembered where the passage was that I wanted you to go. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. In verse 27, But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. So we get that same idea. What's Jesus doing as he's casting out these demons? In the context here, what Jesus is pointing out is that Satan is not casting out demons himself because that would be a divided kingdom and his kingdom would fall. But rather, Jesus is doing this and the reason he's doing it is because just like any man that would go into someone's house, if there's somebody there, the first thing they're going to do is bind them so that they can then haul off all his stuff and plunder his house. They don't want him wandering around and finding some kind of weapon to use while their back is turned. So they bind up the strong man so that they can then plunder the house. Jesus said that's what he's doing, essentially. When he's casting out the demons, he's binding up the strong man. Why? So he can plunder the strong man's house. Within this context, the picture is that the world is the house of Satan, in, in a sense. Satan has control. Folks have followed after sin, and they followed his will. And so what Jesus is doing is binding that strong man so that he can now take people out of the traps of Satan, so that he can take them out of that prisoner of war camp, if you, if you will, and bring them into Jesus' kingdom. And so the idea here is, is that Jesus is binding... And that's going to be completed. Jesus is working on this as he's alive. He's going to be leaving the apostles behind to continue this work. But that binding of the strong man means I'm removing these demons. This is all going to be taken care of. And the reason is, is because following this, we'll be able to plunder the house of the strong man. So Jesus has this idea that this isn't going to last forever, but rather we're binding up the strong man so that we can plunder his house. That's what Jesus is saying. 
And the final thing that I hope you recognize is that the Old Testament prophesied that there was going to be a time when the unclean spirits would be removed from the land. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 2. 13. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 2. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 2 it says, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the unclean spirits. Or your translation may say the spirit of uncleanness. Uh, Remove the prophets and the unclean spirits. Here in Zechariah chapter 13, Zechariah is not prophesying the end of the world. He's prophesying about the coming of the church age. He's prophesying about that time when Jesus would be offering forgiveness of sins, when the Israelites would be restored in that ultimate sense, if they would come into the body of Christ, when that spiritual family of God is going to be established, and that time of peace, because the body of Christ is here, that time of peace with God, that's what he's prophesying. And he says in that time, he's going to remove the unclean spirits and the prophets. So notice how that's tied together. Prophecy is going to end as the removal of the unclean spirits takes place. Now look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 8, as we read in our scripture reading this morning, it says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. Now that ties in with what Zechariah 13 2 said, right? The prophets are going to be removed from the land. Paul says his prophecies will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The text points out that prophecy, tongues, miraculous knowledge, and in fact, that's using the part for the whole, it's picking out three examples, but referring to all of the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. So there's going to be a time when that is done away with. When's that time going to be? Well, that's going to be when the perfect comes. Often people look at that and they just pull that perfect out of the context and say, oh, who do I know that was perfect? Oh, that's Jesus. Obviously, when Jesus returns, this is all going to come to an end. But that takes the word perfect out of the context. Within the context, Paul is not talking about Jesus, and he's not talking about Jesus' return. Rather, he has a perfect and a partial. When we're talking about something that is partial, compared to that which is perfect, or your translation may say complete or whole, because that's what that word means there. When we talk about something that is partial versus something that's whole, we're not talking about two different things. Rather, we're talking about something that's part of something, And then the whole of that same thing. Let me give you an illustration. If I came up to you, Ron, and brought you a part of an apple pie, what would the whole thing be? Yeah, what would the whole thing be? If I gave you a part of an apple pie, what would the whole thing be? Be an apple pie. That's right. David, if I brought up to you a part of a cheesecake, what would the whole thing be? The whole thing would be a cheesecake. You see what happens here? The part is the same thing as the whole. It's just incomplete. Partial versus complete. We're not talking about two completely different things. 
In a context where it's talking about a partial and a perfect, it's not talking about two different things. It would be ridiculous for us to talk about, all right, I'm giving you a part of an apple pie, but when the whole cheesecake comes, would that make any sense at all? Because he talks about having something that is in part, but when the whole thing gets here, well, what was the part? Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the part was the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. But not just the miraculous gifts of the Spirit, but what they represented. And that was, according to Hebrews chapter 2, the revelation and confirmation of God's will. Look in Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. What, what was God's will in distributing these signs and miracles and wonders and gifts of the Spirit? It was to attest or confirm the will of God. See, the miraculous gifts of the Spirit were not given so people could be healed. The miraculous gifts of the Spirit were not given so people could talk in foreign languages. The miraculous gifts of the Spirit were not given just so people could have some kind of, uh, of majestic power. The miraculous gifts of the Spirit were given so that we could know what was the will of God. It was the revelation and confirmation of God's will. Once that was completed and we had the whole, all those partial would be done away with. God's point was that he's using these gifts for a time while that revelation and confirmation is taking place. Once that is completed and we have the whole apple pie, if you will, we're not going to need any more. And so that would be removed. And then he uses that illustration of the child. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I spoke like a child. But then I put away childish things. He says the church, as it was using those miraculous gifts, was in a stage of childhood. But it was going to grow up. And those things were going to be removed. But remember what our prophecy was? That prophets are going to be removed from the land along with unclean spirits. When the prophets were removed because we had the word and will of God. See, we don't have to have somebody say, well, prove to me that's God's will. Okay, I'll do it. I'll go raise somebody from the dead. We can say, prove to me that's God's will. Well, right here in Acts 2.38 it says, or right here in Philippians 1 and verse 12 it says, and we can prove and confirm what God's will is by going back because we've got the whole thing now. So, does demon possession take place today? We want to keep in mind that the demons understood it wasn't going to last forever. We need to keep in mind that Jesus knew that what he was doing was binding the strong man so that his house could be plundered, and that's what's happening today. Every time we get the gospel to someone, if Jesus is plundering Satan's house, he's stealing those whom Satan has stolen. He's stealing them back, redeeming them. And then finally, the Old Testament prophesied that the unclean spirits would stop, and that would happen as prophets were removed from the land. And 1 Corinthians 13 explains that prophets were removed when the Scripture was finally and completely revealed. We have the complete revealed Scripture. We no longer have prophets who are revealing more of God's will because we've got it all here. Remember what 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says? In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, equipped for every good work. When we have all of Scripture, we have what will make us complete because we have the complete. And so the prophets would be removed, and so would the demon possession. And so, is there demon possession today? No, there is not. There is no demon possession today. Now, there are a lot of people that think they are, that think others are, and there's all kinds of things going on, and I don't, I don't deny that folks are, are saying that, and we can talk about that. 
But when we just take a look at the Scripture, what it told was when prophecy was removed, so would the demon possession. That's not going on. If we're given over to sin, it's not because the demon has in, in, infiltrated our body. It's because we've allowed ourselves to be enslaved to sin. And there's only one way we can be set free, and that's through Jesus Christ. So, no demon possession today. I hope today's lesson edified you. Most of all, I hope it glorified God. Let's remember what we learned. First, the demons recognized that there was going to be a time when things would change. Second, Jesus said that he was binding the strong man so that he could plunder his house. Third, the Old Testament prophesied that demon possession and the unclean spirits would be removed from the land when the prophets were removed from the land. We learned from 1 Corinthians 13 that that would happen when the entirety of Scripture was revealed. If you have any questions about this lesson or if you have any spiritual needs or prayer requests, please feel free to contact us by calling 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website, franklinchurchofchrist.com. If you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area, we'd love to get to see you face-to-face. Feel free to stop in and be our guest in any of our assemblies or classes. You can find times and directions on our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We look forward to meeting you. We take this final opportunity to remind you, if you haven't signed up yet, you can receive all of our lessons via podcast. Just go to our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com, and over on the right-hand side of the screen, you'll see the big icon that will take you to iTunes for our sermon podcast. Click on that. When you get to iTunes, click the button that says subscribe, and these lessons will be delivered to you automatically every time you update your iTunes and sync your MP3 player. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.